now bring you the Making Much of Jesus podcast featuring the late Dr. Jack Hudson, the founding pastor of the Northside Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And now today's edition of the Making Much of Jesus podcast. All right, Psalms 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, and thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of all the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me to hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths and as a ravening and as a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be thou not far from me, O Lord, O my strength, hasten thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. And by the way, all the commentators that I read after seem to agree that the unicorn here is what we now call a buffalo. Now, notice what happens at the beginning at verse 22. We go from the crucifixion to the resurrection. I will declare thy name unto the brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. I want to read that again. May I say this to those who may be listening or here, blind, partially blind, maybe deaf or partially deaf. Maybe you walk with a limp or with a cane or with a walker or maybe you're in a wheelchair. Or maybe there's problems that I could not even begin to enumerate, but I want you to listen to what he said. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Aren't you glad of that? Neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard him. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. 
they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Our Heavenly Father, bless the reading of the word now to the people. Make clear the word of the living God and do that which only the Holy Spirit can do. Bring deep conviction. Let us see ourselves as we look upon the person of the Lord Jesus in this psalm being crucified. Let us see us as being the guilty one and him as the innocent one. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most interesting things I think about reading in the Old Testament is understanding this. The Old Testament writers were inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And as a result of it, they wrote things that the men in the New Testament could not see. God seemed to hide it from them. For example, now listen and see what I'm saying and see if you can agree with it. The more you read the Old Testament and the more you read the New Testament, I think you can understand it. You see, the Old Testament prophets saw it by faith. They could see what was happening in the midnight hours. They could see what was happening on the cross while the Lord Jesus was suffering when God put a blanket of darkness over the cross to protect his son. The Old Testament prophets could see it by faith. It seemed that God only allowed the New Testament writers to see what they could see in the daylight. In essence, they wrote what they saw, and the Old Testament wrote what they felt. And oh, what a difference it is when you read this. Here's a psalm as up-to-date as Matthew chapter 27 and John chapter 19, the great crucifixion chapters in the Word of God. And yet they seem to be able to penetrate the darkness and understand the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ as none other place that I find. I want you to think with me for a minute about what the Lord Jesus, I'm speaking to you on the sufferings of the cross, the sufferings of the cross. First of all, I want you to notice emotionally he was deeply affected because first he was forsaken. I wish I knew how to explain it to you as I've studied and looked up and tried to get the words. I know not how to explain it to you. I can only depend upon the Holy Spirit of the living God both in this visible congregation and the mass multitudes of thousands who are listening by the means of radio. I ask the Holy Spirit to help them to understand what that word means, forsaken. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I preach from it from the New Testament. I've never known where they put the emphasis. I still don't know and I'm not going to try. I looked up in my dictionary and here's what it meant. It means to be left alone, to walk out and to leave desolate. It means to desert in a hostile territory. I've illustrated it this way. It's like a mother who'd go to a vast shopping center and in the midst of it purposely walk away from her child and the child began to cry out. It looks up and doesn't see a face. It doesn't see clothing that it recognizes. It cries out to the top of its voice. That's the word. That's the meaning. That's the emotional feeling that the Lord Jesus Christ had. For he took my place and therefore he was feeling as a human being. He was feeling as you and I feel. And he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you left me? The first time throughout all eternity, when the heavens were created, I was there. And when all the lakes and the little creeks were formed, I was there. And when everything that happened and has happened, I was there. But now for the first time, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want you to understand something. Are you listening to me? That's exactly what you're going to say when you die without Jesus Christ. You're going to be for the first time without God giving you an invitation. You're going to be for the first time without God speaking to you through nature. 
when you go home in the morning and you look up, Jesus says, I am the light of day. And when you take your bread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And when you're as thirsty as you've ever been and you get a drink of water, Jesus says, I'm the water of life. And when you get up in the morning, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Jesus speaks to you day in and day out. You go to the beach and you look at the waters. It rolls restlessly, continue to come in. He says, as the sea, the restless sea, how it cast up mire and clay. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. You look up into the mountains and you see the trees, but beyond that you see the Lord. For the psalmist said, I would look unto the hills from whence cometh my strength. Everywhere you go, God's speaking to you, but there's coming a day when God's not going to speak anymore. When you die without the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you deserted me in hostile territory? Why have you left me desolate? Why have you walked out and left me? That's what he was saying. I want you to understand, beloved. Do you understand why he said these words? I want you to know, first of all, it was not because his heavenly Father was displeased with him. Oh, no. You remember there in the latter part of Matthew chapter 3, the Lord Jesus Christ was standing in the water. John the Baptist had just baptized him. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God came into him in the form of a dove. And the heavens broke and God like the thunder was heard to say, Listen, are you listening? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. It was not because it displeased his heavenly Father. It was not because he's slothful. That is, it's not because he was lazy. It was not because he hadn't done the job. For the Lord Jesus himself tells us in divine record in John chapter 17, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It was not because he was sinful, because he was the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. He was the one who never sinned in word or deed or thought. He was the one, the sinless one, who died on Calvary's cross. But I'll tell you why it was. It was because the Lord Jesus Christ was dying in my place and in yours. Did you know never, ever in eternity, never will I have to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For he has said it for me. And he took my place on Calvary's cross. A preacher was preaching. And then when he finished, a lady came up. He'd never seen her before and he didn't know her. He didn't know about her spiritual qualities. And so she said, sir, I need to talk to you. And he said, fine. She said, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. And so he wanted to test her. He said, do you know any scripture? She said, yes, sir. I, I know one verse. He said, what verse is it? She said, John 3, 16. He said, would you quote it for me, please? She said, yes, sir. For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son, and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, ma'am, you did that beautifully, but there's one word that you said wrongly. It's not forgotten, son. It's begotten, son. But he said, I'm going to use that to help you. Do you know why he was forsaken and why he was forgotten? She said, no. He said, that's so the Lord would never have to forget you. And the woman caught the spiritual truth and began to weep. And he led her to a saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what it means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did you know there's a promise in the word of God that absolutely assures me that never, ever will I be able to say that spiritually speaking. Never. I will never have to. Listen what it says in Hebrews chapter 13 in verse number 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I was forsaken on Calvary's cross. I know what it is. 
I know how horrible it is, and I don't want you to go through that. And there is a direct promise to me, and as I was studying this, God broke my heart afresh and anew. I'm so glad that I can stand here and know that I will never, I can never be forsaken of an almighty God. I've got a promise that is as strong as he is. I've got a promise that's as big as heaven. I've got a promise that can't ever be changed. I'm standing on the promises of God. And his promise says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And he went through something for me in this crucifixion that we need to better understand. Now quickly, not only was he forsaken by his father, his father had to forsake him because he was being made sin for us. God the Father who's now, in essence, through me preaching to you, one day he will forsake you. One day he will take his eyes off of you when you pay the penalty for sin. Now listen, not only that, but he was forsaken by his nation. By his nation. Look at verse number 4 and verse number 6. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted in thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man approached to men and despised of the people. You know what he was saying? He said, I don't have a nation. Even the nation has forsaken me. He was literally a man without a country. Think about that. I remember we had a play here one time, man without a country. I can go anywhere in the world. And they said, what is your country? I said, I'm an American by birth the first time. I'm a Christian by choice the second time in the second birth, but I'm an American. I've got a passport, a valid passport that says I am a citizen of America. Oh, can you imagine what it would be and say, I have no country. Israel had forsaken him. They had turned their back on him. I think about what the Lord said in John 1:12. How pitiful are the words. If I only knew how to say them, he came unto his own. That's the Jews. He came unto his own but his own received him not. You know what they said at the crucifixion? They said, away with this man. We will not have this man to rule and to reign over us. His blood be upon our heads and upon the heads of our children. Away with him. Crucify him. Release unto us Barabbas. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right, the power, the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Israel forsook him, you see. And then he was forsaken not only by his father, not only by his nation, but he was forsaken by his friends. I want to tell you something, folks. That hurts. Look at verse number 7. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lips. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. They were mocking and making fun. And, of course, you find it fulfilled literally. Thirty-three verses were fulfilled uh, at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. His friends forsook him. May I say something to you about friends? Most of you, I read somewhere, I didn't believe it at first. That was several years ago, and I don't know now, but what's true. They said most people have one friend and then a lot of acquaintances. A friend is one that sticketh closer than a brother. A friend makes you richer than any amount of money can ever do it. I'll be honest, when you have a friend, you have about everything this world can offer. This world now, of course, with the Lord Jesus Christ and one friend, a friend. But his friends forsook him. It seems like when your friends stand by and say, it's all right, it's going to be all right, don't worry. It does more for you than if they'd write it on a billboard or take airplanes and write it in the sky. It was just a friend will stand by you. 
Now, his father had forsaken him. Get it in your mind. His nation had forsaken him. They said he's not the Messiah. He was coming to Israel and came to him as their Messiah. They said, we don't want this man to rule over us. We don't need him. He's not the Messiah. He's false and everything he said is not true. We're not going to have this man. And then his friends. Now, you remember who his friends were? The disciples. They had eaten with him. They had slept where he slept. They had walked where he had walked for a low three years. They had seen him open the eyes of the blind, unstop the ears of the deaf. They'd seen him uh, do miracles that only God could do. And yet the very humility and the love that he bestowed upon them, such as no man had ever known. But the Bible says they forsook him. And one of them named Judas, you remember, said to the men, Give me some money. Give me 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. They probably dickered. And finally they said, Now 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. And he said, Give me the price of a slave and I'll betray him. And they followed him to the Garden of Gethsemane. When I go to the Holy Lands and go to the Garden of Gethsemane, I guess that's even more prevalent in my mind than the fact that the Lord Jesus prayed there so fervently that his perspiration turned as though it were drops of blood. And he said, Now the one that I bestow a kiss upon his cheek, he's the one. And he went over and went up to the Lord Jesus Christ and put that false look on his face, that Chessicat grin. And he said, Hey, Lord, and kissed him on the cheek. And the Lord Jesus looked at him and said, Friend, does that not do something to your heart? Friend, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Friend? All of them had forsaken him, and they would the Lord Jesus. He was stripped of everything. When you break it down, psychologists would have to agree. Emotionally speaking, you take a father away, you take a nation away, and you take the friends away, and you've just about stripped the person emotionally to where there's absolutely nothing left. But thank God he reassured me. He said, if your father forsake you, he said, I never will. Though your mother and father forsake you, I'll pick you up. And he said, though your nation, he said, my citizenship, Paul said, my citizenship's in heaven. I've got it, though this America would turn me out, I've still got a home. I've got a nation. I've got a country. That's why Abraham was standing there as a foreigner. And they said, Abraham, what are you looking at? He said, I'm looking for a city that hath foundations, whose, building, whose builder and maker is God. See, we're citizens of that. Friends, he says, the Lord Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And if every friend would forsake you, if every friend would turn their back on you, we have the greatest friend of all in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But very quickly, not only was he forsaken, but he was beaten. Look at verse number 12 through 16. I'll not read it all, but look what it says. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. Look at verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it melted in the midst of my bowels. Now notice three things. First of all, the bulls, the bones, and the bowels. Watch now what he's saying. The bulls of Bashan. Now, they were wild bulls in those days. And around Bashan, it was a very good land. In other words, it had plenty of grass and plenty of water. And the wild bulls that lived in that area were the biggest. They were the strongest. And as a result of it, the meanest, cantankerous. And they said many times an animal, they, would, they said that actually attacked animals. And when they ravished them and beat them and stomped them until literally a very little could be found of their remains. They would attacked human beings. And they all knew the bulls of Bashan. They knew how ferocious they were. They know how they would attack without provocation. They just attacked because somebody was in their area. 
And so he used that word. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. When you think about that, you have to understand what he was beaten and physically what he suffered. You see, death was always by stoning in those days. That's the reason I know this is divinely inspired. Crucifixion never came into existence till the Roman Empire got into power, which is way up near the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was talking about what he was going to go through here and how he was going to... And I, I've read not one time, but I've read a dozen times in, in that many different books that of all the deaths that man can think of, crucifixion is the most hor horrible. It's the most excruciating. It's the kind that, that's indescribable. That's the reason the prophet here is looking by divine revelation and he sees through the darkness and he sees the suffering of him, the bulls of Bashan. And as a result of it, he's talking about the very forces of hell itself, that which the prophets couldn't see. All they could see were darkness, but the Old Testament prophets could look and see, and they saw the forces of hell. They saw something that man couldn't begin to stand against by himself. They saw a force that was coming against him, and they said, I'll describe it in a way that you'll understand, like the bulls of Bashan. And the people understood. I understand that I've read it, and you'll understand it now. And so he's trying to let you see what hell tried to do. I sometimes wonder if demons themselves weren't there to, to, to laugh and to, to make fun of him and to torment him in every way they can. Number two, notice what it says, the bones. Look in verse number 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bone, bones are out of joint. You know, the Old Testament writers wrote what they felt. The New Testament writers, what they saw. And when they write to us in the New Testament, they said he was hanging on a tree. And the Old Testament says, you don't understand. You didn't feel it. You didn't understand it. All of his bones were out of joint. I've never had a bone out of joint. I've suffered physically, but I've never had a bone out of joint. I have been told it's one of the most excruciating pains known to man. I had a man tell me one time, just simply, he said he was playing football, and he said he grabbed a man he was running by, and it pulled his shoulder out of joint. He said, I, and he was a great big fella, he said, I started screaming, just screaming. He said, I ran to the sidelines trying to hold my arm every time I'd move. And he said, there was a doctor there, and he said, the doctor knew exactly what to do. He kicked off his shoe. The doctor did. And he put his uh, foot in, the arm, in, in my armpit, he said, and then grabbed my hand and gave a jerk. And he said it went back in. He said it was still hurting. But he said, I don't believe a man can live uh, under the pain of a, something being out of joint. Now the Lord said, every joint was out of place. That meant his arms, his wrists, that meant his elbows, it meant his shoulders, it meant his bones, it meant his hip bones, it meant his pelvic. Everything was out of joint. And the suffering there is something that's difficult to understand. Then notice, if you will, again in verse number 14, and he says, And uh, my heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. His heart ruptured. It was like something, it, it was as if it was literally melted, like a piece of wax. If you take a little uh, artifact of, of wax that looked like a heart, heart and put it under the sun, it, began, it would begin to drip. His heart ruptured, and the, and the blood began to drip down into his innermost beings and began to drip down into his stomach. It dripped down into his bowels. That's what he's talking about. He said it. He said the pain was so great. He said, my heart finally gave way. My heart literally ruptured. And the blood began to break down. He literally died of a ruptured heart. 
broken heart if we want to say that, but I want to be a little more technically correct very quickly. I want you to notice, if you will, not only did he have the emotional, not only did he have the physical, but he also had the humiliation. This is the thing that we've forgotten today. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, and shame, the humiliation. I want you to notice what he said. Look in verse number 17. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They stripped the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ was hanging on Calvary's cross, he was stripped. The artist very nicely put a little banner around him, and I'm glad they do that. But hanging upon Calvary's cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was naked. He was naked because that depicts my condition and your condition in this world without him. The Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We sing that little chorus, you remember? The best thing in my life I ever did do was to take off the old robe and put on the new. This old robe was dirty, all tattered and torn, but that new robe was spotless, had never been worn. And the best thing in my life I ever did do was to take off this old robe and put on a new. Did you know that's not exactly scripturally correct? For when the Lord Jesus came to me, I had no robe of any kind, and neither did you. Listen to what he says concerning this age in which we're living, the age of the Laodicean. He says, when you look at yourself, you said, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Knowest thou not? Thou art miserable and naked and blind. Naked? Yeah. That's where, you see, he took off his robe of righteousness and gave it to me. Amen. And gave it to me so that my nakedness of sin would not appear. And today I'm standing before you clothed in an invisible robe, but it's the robe of righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is bestowed upon every person who's ever trusted him as their Lord and Savior. And that robe came from his sacrificial death on Calvary's cross. That's what provided the robe of righteousness, don't you see? Adam sinned and God put coats around them, made them of, of animal skins, and God put cloaks around them. And then when you and I came to him naked, in sin, and the first thing God did was wrap us in a robe of righteousness. Don't you see that? Can't you see it? And as a result of it, there was a humiliation. Uh, Adam was stripped by sin, so were you and I. And we were clothed. The Lord Jesus Christ was stripped by our sin, and we're clothed in a robe that was stripped from him. One word and we're gone. But I don't want to leave him on the cross. You can always tell false preaching because they always leave him on the cross. Thank God he's alive. I like that song, Up from the Grave. He arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he ever lives with his saints to reign. Hallelujah, Christ arose. Thank God I'm not serving a dead Savior hanging on the cross. I'm serving a living Savior who ever lives to make all of his promises true. Listen to what it says in verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren, to the Christians. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Notice he said, I'm going to tell the brethren. My God, folk, why can't we tell the brethren? He's alive! He's alive! That's what we ought to tell them. Number two, he says, I'm going to tell the congregation. Verse 22, I'm going to tell the congregation. I'm going to get in the midst of them. And I'm going to say, I'm alive! I'm alive! And then he says, I want you to tell, verse 23, listen. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye seed of Israel, 
He's going to tell Israel. And one day, according to Zechariah chapter 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to the Mount of Olives. He shall plant one foot here and one foot here. And suddenly you're going to hear a great quaking. And that mountain's going to cleave in two. And the Lord Jesus Christ shall be victorious. And the Bible says there in, in Zechariah 14, Israel shall look up and said, Where did you receive these wounds? Are you listening? And he shall say, In the house of my friends. They're the ones that crucified him. And then he says, I want you to know I'll tell the world. And the ends of the earth shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before him. Now how is he going to get the word out? Through people like you and me who've heard that word. You know, when you think about this, and I've through, got to, when you think about the order of conversion, did you notice it's all in here? don't have time to go over it all. But number one, there has to be reflection. Reflection really means remember. I've never talked to a man yet, or a woman, or a boy, or girl, who got saved, who didn't somewhere in it fulfill this. They'd say, I can remember, boy, Brother Hudson, I used to do this and that and the other. There was a time when, now when they say that, it means they reflected, they remember. If I could get you to remember, if I could get you to reflect, if I could get you to go back in your past life and see how sinful you and I really are and how much we need a Savior, that's part of it. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about like the prodigal. Number two, there has to be repentance. In verse number 27, listen, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn unto the Lord. Now turning is repentance. That's what repentance means. Brother, I want you to know it doesn't matter all these sweet words you hear. It doesn't matter all the things you may read, all these sweet things today. I want you to know that according to the Word of God, when you're born again of the Spirit of God, you will repent. The Bible says you will turn again. You will become a new... Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And then the Bible says, listen, and all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before Him. And I'll promise you there'll be that reflection, there'll be that repentance, and there'll be that worship. They'll turn unto the holy services. Paul said, as for me, as for me, uh, he said, you remember what he said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't you see it? There it is. Let's stand together with our heads bowed. Heavenly Father, I pray that in Jesus' name that you'd speak to hearts. I pray that you'd help people be saved, both here and those listening by the means of radio. And then, Father, I pray that you'd help them to really understand what it means. They can't repent. But as they come to you, they do repent because you give them a new desire and a new life and a new reason for living. And then, Father, they will worship. You can't help but brag on Jesus once you know him. It's just as normal as breathing. We thank you for listening to the Making Much of Jesus podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen. And join us next time for the Making Much of Jesus podcast podcast.